Hi, everyone, and welcome to On the Nose, the Jewish Currents podcast. This is Ari Brostoff. I'm a senior editor at Jewish Currents. I'm in Los Angeles right now because I've spent the weekend at a tenant organizing convention here. It's the first in-person convention held by Autun, the Autonomous Tenants Union Network, which is a kind of confederation of independent tenant unions across North America. So I've been here as a member of the Crown Heights Tenants Union in Brooklyn, along with a couple of hundred people coming from 20 different tenant unions across the country, from Worcester, Massachusetts, to Washington, D.C., to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Eugene, Oregon. I'm guessing some of you listening know what Labor Notes is, which had its convention in Chicago a couple weeks ago. So you can think of this as kind of the tenant organizing equivalent. It's a lot smaller, but give us a few years. And it's been a really amazing weekend. And I have uh, three guests with me today um, who came here from three different parts of the country to participate as well. And we're going to be talking about what's going on with their organizing projects back at home and what they have learned this weekend. So I would like to introduce you to Dania Martinez-Spider, who lives in West River, South Dakota, and is a member of the West River Tenants Union. Dania, is it actually Rapid City? Is that the way to actually say where you live? Okay. So Dania, correction, lives in Rapid City, which is in West River, which I'm sure she could explain more about later. Claire Spieler, who lives in Houston, Texas, where they're a part of the Houston Tenants Union. And Kenya Alcocer, who lives here in Los Angeles and is part of Law 2, the Los Angeles Tenants Union. So I think to start with, can everyone talk about why you decided to join the tenant union in your city and what's kept you there? Like what's been meaningful enough about it that it's kept you doing what you're doing and also brought you to L.A. for this convention for those of you who aren't already living here? Kenya, do you want to start? Sure. Um, well, we're Unión de Vecinos, the east side local of the Los Angeles Tenants Union. And Unión de Vecinos, it's unique in the way that we've been existing for the last 25 years, organizing in our neighborhood, Ball Heights and East L.A. And when we had a fight against gentrification and a fight against this quote-unquote, affordable housing coming over, we lost a lot of our funding. We got blacklisted by nonprofits and foundations. And when we made a call for all of our friends and comrades to come together to figure out how we were going to continue the organizing without funding and without any of this process, we reached out to a lot of our comrades and we started having a conversation. And we started realizing that a lot of our comrades were having the similar issues that we were having in our neighborhood. So it didn't make sense for folks to come and help us organize in Heights. They needed to organize within their communities and something needed to be created that would help us break away from the isolation that Ball Heights was doing. And that's when the Los Angeles Tenants Union was born. And I think that that's one of the things that for us, what keeps us going is the fact that we have a commitment in organizing in our communities beyond just tenant rights, like tenants, the foot on the door issue that everybody experiences in LA, especially with all of the housing crises that we've been dealing with. But the reality for us as Los Angeles Tenants Union is the fact that we need to address all of the issues that are impacting our communities, whether it's housing, whether it's a pothole on our street, whether it's city councils that aren't listening to our needs, access to health care or 
I mean, one of the things that I think the pandemic taught us is that we're not just being harassed by our freaking landlords. We also have bosses that are harassing us and violating our rights in the workplace. Our children don't have access to good education. So all of these fights are interconnected. And I think that that's what keeps us in the fight. It's the fact that we honestly do believe that it's unit by unit, block by block, city by city a national movement and an international movement that we need to to continue to free ourselves. Um, Claire, want to go next? I guess how I got involved is a little bit different because my partner, AJ, was a member of the union before I was, and I would participate by just being there in solidarity as a neighbor, and I'd go to pickets and actions and demand letter deliveries, and I was just incredibly moved by the sense of community and the sense of shared kind of sometimes commiseration and what it means to be a renter and have to face like that constant insecurity. And while I was attending many actions during our campaign with Vias de Paseo Complex in Houston, and I can get into what that campaign meant to HU ultimately later, I ended up being so moved that I wanted to like be directly a part of the movement and do what I can to participate in direct action and contribute in just like being very invested in ways I can empower my fellow organizers. And it just connected me to the community in a way that I had never been able to previously experience living in Houston. And I think we've made a lot of great strides. So mine's a little bit different too. So back in November, my little sister passed away and my nephew is still, you know, on the lease of their house or whatever, but they were like, you have two weeks to get out, whatever. So I had gotten in touch with somebody that knew the other people that were, that are with the tenants union. And so, so they came and they, you know, got a hold of an attorney and, um, cause the situation that we were in was really, really, really complicated, you know? So I ended up getting a different apartment so I moved but I didn't we didn't really I didn't really have time to like focus on that so like we just moved whatever but so after that I started um going to meetings started going out and doing flyering with them fundraising I did a lot of fundraising with them and you know it's just my way of you know giving back to them for being there you know for me because I really felt like I didn't have anybody at the time you know because my mom just passed away like probably like a year before so it's just really you know a hard time hard time for us so um I'm so sorry to hear that and it's a very powerful introduction to the tenant movement so I think most people probably know what a labor union is but not everyone knows what a tenant union is can somebody say how you understand what tenant unions are and what they do well for me a tenants union It's a body of tenants coming together and having conversations about what are the issues and how we're fighting back against this. But it's the reason why we call it a union. It's because we believe strongly in the collective bargaining aspect of unions. No tenant should be negotiating with their landlord by themselves. And that is the reason why we chose this model of tenant unions to make sure that there is a collective bargaining of tenants whether it's in the same building or because all these buildings have the same landlord, like that is the power of the tenants union, but also because I feel like it's a body of space 
that it's trying to create power for a sector of the class. Tenants are not identified as a class, but we are part of the working class and we are a sector of the working class that is trying to unify itself. Yeah, and I'll add um, something that I think came out of Law 2, or at least I know it from Law 2 people, is the idea of understanding tenancy as something that is not just a condition that you're in if you're a renter, but also might be a condition that you're in if you are an unhoused person or a person in prison or anybody who doesn't control your own housing. And I thought that that was a really important breakthrough in my own understanding of what tenants are and and what we have in common. My understanding of it is, you know, not it being like a service, you know, like you coming to them and having them help you and then be gone. Like they're, you know, it's they, you know, you guys have the same idea, I guess, of what fighting like for the same cause, I guess. That's what I got out of, you know, the tenant union. Yeah, I think that's a really important point that that it's not service provision, yeah. right? Like it's mm-hmm. not like what you get from a nonprofit. Yeah. Like they're not getting paid for, you know, they're not getting paid. They're all volunteer. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's 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 nice. Is that something that's come up for you guys? Like uh, when you're doing outreach that people think that you're from a nonprofit and you have to explain that you're not and why that matters? Well, one time I was just asked, well, because I'm like the finance coordinator for the Houston Tenants Union. And uh, one time we were doing outreach and I was asked like, well, if you want people to be housed, why don't you give them money for rent? And it's about kind of like confronting the fact that like that's not going to solve any of these long term issues that are ultimately just going to be reproduced because one, we can't provide infinite rent relief for folks right who's yeah. the you in that like yeah. <laughs> like like this yeah because the union is definitely not for profit and we don't really like we have like an operational fund but yeah that's an impossible ask and all that money would just go back to landlords anyway and that's not going to solve like more pervasive issues of like communities being pushed out it's not going to solve issues of gentrification it's not going to solve like like the inhabitability of Uh, A lot of these units when, you know, we do mold testing for tenants and it comes back to their units have black mold in it. Like just because we gave you rent relief to give to your landlord, they're not all of a sudden going to like change your HVAC system. These like issues that we face big and small can only be really confronted, not through maybe necessarily like charity and rent relief, uh, you know, rather uh, collective action. Yeah, for us, it's a little bit um, complicated. Unión de Vecinos is a nonprofit. Mm. <laughs> we were operating as a nonprofit from the beginning. Okay. So it's always crazy. But LATU is not a nonprofit. No, LATU is not a nonprofit. But th- we do see the benefits of like having nonprofit as a tool. Mm-hmm. When it comes to services, I think Unión de Vecinos has always had the line that we're not a service provider, mm-hmm. yeah. which is important for us because we're not going to give you the turkeys d- during the Thanksgiving events, we don't pass out the toys like most nonprofits do. You're you're part of the organization, one, because you're trying to build your own agency and are trying to protect yourselves. And there's this one thing that at the beginning I was organizing with Union de Vecinos, that's almost 18 years ago. One of the things we would say was like, you know, city council members come and go, 
the cops come and go, like all of these nonprofits come and go. Like who stays in the community? It's you. So you need to learn how to figure out how to solve your issues, even if Unión de Vecinos were to no longer exist. That there needs to be a creation of mechanisms for, for folks. Knowing your neighbor is the basic part of this departure in order for you to start creating some of those mechanisms. Knowing the señora that takes care of all your the kids in the neighborhood, like getting to know the people that are like doing a lot of the community work, even before some of us um, started organizing, those are the spaces that we need to be um, taking care of and making sure that we're fundamentally nourishing in order for those things to grow. The other thing I would say, it's like a lot of our latus and some of them are moving away from that part of the work. It's We were doing solidarity casework where people would come, we, they would do their issues, we would help them write letters. If there was court, get them lawyers and things like that. But that's very individualistic. We're trying to figure out ways in which we can collectivize that process. But at Unión de Vecinos, I do a lot of the case management for the organization. But I don't do it just because I'm helping individuals. And I know that a lot of those individuals are not going to turn into organizing aspects. But it also gives us the ability to know what's happening and what are the new tactics that landlords are using in our neighborhood. So for a while, for example, one of the biggest things was Ellis Act, which was basically landlords going to the city, pulling out this permit, saying that they were going to take the building out of the rent market, evicting everybody, and then renting those same apartments all over again. Others saying that they were going to pull it out of the rental market because they were going to build something there and destroying the building and building something new. So it gives us the ability to also learn what's happening in the neighborhood. What are the new tactics? What are they using in order to cash for keys? All of these other things that are coming out of the neighbors when they come to us, we are starting to learn like what are the new trends. So one of them, for example, was like Dennis Block, which is one of the worst freaking landlord lawyers in L.A., would do classes for landlords to tell them when to put notices on. So he would say, go on a Friday night, post a notice, because that means that they have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday to fix up whatever it is that you need to fix. Usually tenants don't do it on the weekends. Therefore, now you can use that notice to do an eviction process. Wow. Oh my gosh. This is the same dude that when... COVID started and tenants started going on rent strikes said that like landlords should just get guns and start killing their tenants to get them out of their properties. So like these are the things that I think like even though we want to move away from those things, like when you have communities that are having individual cases, you learn something too. But we are not a service organization. I don't think any union should ever do that because there's a dependency that comes from that. And that dependency immobilizes our tenants to think critically and to start actively being agents of their own futures. I just, I guess I feel the need to clarify as the Houston Tenants Union, we do, we are an incorporated 501c4, which legally makes us a nonprofit. But we, I would agree with you, Kenya, that like we don't want to be a service organization to contribute to this kind of like dependency that won't break any necessarily harmful cycles. But we do operate that way because it, in Texas, it offers a certain level of protection mm-hmm. to our organizers. That's important to us. But yeah, I yeah. I mean, that. there's there's protections there. I mean, yeah. being a nonprofit, we were able to get a space for free here in in LA to host this event. Mm-hmm. So like, the status allows you to do some creative work 
around this, but it's not like what should drive our our movement or law to like we need to be autonomous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that that's one of the big tensions that I've seen in the movement is that if you sort of include the larger movement around housing beyond the tenant union movement, like beyond even, you know, like the people who would show up at a convention like Autune, there are also a lot of people who, you know, look at things a very different way and say what we really need to be doing is like appealing to the state for better tenant protections and for regulations to prevent rent from skyrocketing and all of those kinds of things. And I actually think probably all of us who are here this weekend, you know, would agree that there is good. I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone because I think there's actually quite a wide range of opinions on this. But I think many people would agree that there is some good that comes out of trying to at least, let's say, like enforce protections that exist or trying to create new ones, right? And so like CHTU, where I'm a member, you know, sees its kind of core mission as uh, organizing buildings and creating tenant power within the neighborhood. But we also do fights that exist at the level of you know, like formal electoral politics, right? Um, And there's, again, like there's debates about this uh, within the group, outside the group, like how much time do we want to spend fighting for something like right to counsel, which means that if you are being threatened with eviction, you automatically get a free lawyer, right? Like that's helped a lot of people. And also how much do we want to expend our resources on that as opposed to organizing another block? So I think those those are things that I've seen come up a lot. I'm wondering... You know, you're all from very different parts of the country. I think what I was hearing over the weekend is that, you know, a kind of big theme and big excitement for people who are at the convention was realizing kind of the commonalities in people's struggles in really different places. And I'm curious what you would say, like now having gone through this weekend and, you know, had all these conversations, what are you most struck by of like what your struggles back at home have in common with the other people that you've talked to? And what are things that are jumping out at you as being like very unique and specific about what the fights are in your city? I think uh, something that really resonated with a lot of people is sometimes struggles with like capacity because tenant organizing is like a bit of a working class movement and time kind of becomes like a commodity of the organizer. And it's very um, sometimes difficult when you go through phases of having lots of involvement and phases of where people are maybe a bit in survival mode and can't contribute as much to organizing as they used to be able to. And it was really great this past weekend to be able to speak with people who are all very much empathizing with issues with capacity and mobilization, but then being able to talk about like, well, what kind of strategies or tools can we provide to our fellow comrades to help them be able to participate? And we've been doing things like providing like childcare, transportation, food, and trying to provide like accessibility options for all sorts of different kinds of folks to be able to participate. And it was great to be able to brainstorm better ways to do all of that with folks from many different cities. I was actually really intrigued by every, like a lot, you know, because I'm new, you know, 
new to new to like a lot of things that are going on. Well, not new, but I mean, like what we deal with up in South Dakota for the indigenous people is racism. And, you know, it's like it's really bad. You know, it's I know I went to two of the set two sessions. One of them was about the was it the Crown Heights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. That one was I was like shocked because, you know, I mean, we I thought it was bad where, you know, I'm from. But like, yeah, they don't you don't really see much of that. Do you want to say a little bit more about what the Crown Heights thing was that you were listening to and what? It, yeah. It OK, so the, the Crown Heights from, um, you know, was the family became our own. The, They're brownstone. Yeah. Yeah. And then ended up becoming the tenants and then them, you know, pretty much come in and change the locks and you know make them leave and yeah it's just that was just really really you know that was really shocking to me because I'm like you know you don't really hear I mean where I'm from you don't really hear of you know things like that happening and then actually you know seeing the videos and stuff of it like that was just really that really shocked me a little bit but it sounds like there's a similarity there too yeah the the race like yeah like what is the shape that the racism against indigenous tenants takes where you are Um, so it's, I myself, you know, I've talked to like landlords over the phone, like in the past, you know, I've gotten, you know, talked to landlords on the phone. It'll be a whole, they'll be so nice over the phone, but when you go to meet them in person and they see you, then they, it's, everything just completely changes from there. Then you got, oh, you know, this person's, you got so many more people ahead of you, you know, we got to go through applications, make sure, you know, you're approved and whatever but it's like when they and when they don't see you compared to when they do see you it's just it's it's pretty bad up there you know they call it the deep north but it's it's pretty it's pretty bad i don't know if you guys have heard anything about the grand gateway hotel yeah do you want to yeah so that that there the owner actually her name is connie year she went and um to social media she wrote uh that she wasn't going to be renting to native american native americans weren't allowed to rent at the hotel after there was like a shooting or something and and then one of the the one that got shot anyway ended up passing away but you know they actually the tribes actually came and uh went up there because they're the most of the you know a majority of people in rapid city are indigenous you know so it's just crazy Mm-hmm. Well, for me, I think that one of the things that we came out of this weekend uh, was trying to really consolidate and figure out how do we unify our class. There's 140 million poor and dispossessed across this country that are suffering, and a lot of them are tenants. I mean, here in the city of Los Angeles, in most cities, it's like 70% of everybody that lives in the city are tenants. And how do we start unifying that through political education, through understanding the system that it's actually oppressing us? Because, uh, I mean, one of the things that we've been really talking about throughout these processes is I want to challenge homeowners, especially like the people that own their single homes that are struggling just like us. It's like you have the worst landlord, which is our banks. You don't necessarily own your own home, 30 years, 40 year mortgage, and you can still get evicted. And we saw that during the 2008 housing crisis. 
So like, how do we start challenging that particular sector of our class as well? But as tenants, I think it's building also like a unifying vision of what it is that we want to see in this world and how we want to live as tenants. It's not just about our housing conditions. It's like we've seen through the pandemic and even before that, that we can no longer sustain a system that oppresses us in a way that it forces us to pay rent, which forces us to work three to four jobs. And I can just think of like, we had during the pandemic, we had like these conversations about talking about why we were going on rent strike. And I, re I can always remember the face of one of our members who's a male crying and saying, you know, I've spent all of my life working and it's until now that I don't have a job because I was forced to stay in the house with my children that I'm getting to meet my children that I'm getting to like know who they are and what they've grown up to be without me being present there. So I think that part of like the work that we've been doing, it's building a lot of consciousness within tenants, but how do we politicize that consciousness from now on in a way that gives us the ability to really have clarity of who our enemy is and that that enemy needs to be stomped. I, I <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the SOS logo. We need to yeah. stomp that enemy. Do you want to say what SOS is? Oh, I guess it's the... It's stomp a, Out. Stomp Out, yeah. Slumlord. Stomp Out Slumlord yeah. in Which is the, yeah. the DC tenant union. Something you were saying just reminded me of a really intense struggle that my local union, the Crown Heights Tenant Union, was involved in earlier this year and still is, which is the family that Daniel was mentioning, who who one of them was here speaking, who were victims of a deed theft scheme and went from being owners to being told that they were tenants in their own house. And I think that really pointed to the way in which there's a th that there's solidarity possible between particularly homeowners who are the most vulnerable to those kinds of schemes because uh, they're people of color in a gentrifying neighborhood for example or you know are underwater on their mortgage or whatever the case may be uh, and that family actually lives on my block and I wrote a story about their situation for Jewish currents earlier this year but I want to go back to something that you were just saying about political education, which I think really came up a lot this weekend. I've been in a whole bunch of different conversations this weekend about the need for political education in our movement, how to bring members into our unions who become really full-fledged, active, politicized members. A lot of conversations about, okay, for those of us who see tenant organizing, um, not just as a way to get more rights for tenants, but also as a way to build a movement to overturn the entire system in which some people can extract rent from others who live on their property. How do we organize people into questioning the idea that this is the way that we have to live? So I'm curious about how you're all thinking about those kinds of questions and what you were hearing this weekend. Well, I think, at least for us within law too, I think it's, it's like, it's not just about talking about the new world we want to live in, but it's actually practicing it. And I think that tenants associations allow for a lot of that. When tenants come together and start collectively talking about their issues and collectively start talking about how they want to approach those issues, um, it's important. And I think that a huge example of that is Second Street 
Tenants Association, which a lot of you might have gone to the party yesterday, this particular landlord has been harassing these tenants for such a long time, has put them through eviction after eviction. And even though he loses, he figures out ways now putting cameras all over their apartment. But I think the way that the association has created a culture where this is not just our building, but this is the community's building, and that's where we have meetings, and that's where we um, do food distribution, and that's where we do all of this work. It's collectively already starting the process of deepening their consciousness into a more political educational process that gives us the ability to see that this is the way in which we are operating. It's as a community, it's as a collective, and it's not as individuals. And I think that that, for us, has been a way of approaching this process, but it's also about a lot of the theories and the things that we need to learn. People have been practicing it in our communities, they just don't have the words to it. And I think that that's something important, that we need to create spaces for that, but we also need to create spaces where we're learning who our enemy is. I mean, when we talk about our landlords, it's not just the landlords, it's the entire apparatus behind our landlords that we need to fight back against. So I think that it is important to like, expose capitalism for what it is and not just say our landlords the only aspect of the things that we're fighting because we can't get rid of landlords. It doesn't mean we're getting rid of the bank institutions that are owning the land and that are keeping us away from that or the fact that when we're talking about land ownership, it's a private aspect of it and there's no communal aspect to it. I mean, we see in Latin America, there's like processes, lejidos in Mexico, for example, where entire communities own the entire land. There's no one single person or where people do like this parachuting in in, um, communities where then they are given the rights to the land like in Brazil or South Africa. There's no such thing here. We've seen moments and spurs where we've tried that and we've seen how it's been defeated because constitutionally we don't have the right to land. And those conversations I think are part of the political education that we need to do of how we fight for those rights. one of the last discussions this afternoon, something I thought was really interesting was how perhaps the win on East 2nd Street was kind of, the celebration was a bit of an example of, um, this is my first time hearing this phrase this weekend, was like public education, if I'm remembering that correctly. Popular. Popular. Um, uh, thank you. <laughs> I guess, well, because the way I kind of internalized hearing that term, like popular education, is that you're creating how do I put it, like education or uh, movement based off of the community's needs and the way the community wants to grow. And so I, something I, you know, I feel like we've always thought was important was political education, which is why, you know, we have an onboarding process for members and we talk about different um, political strategies and why we do things like certain ways and how we've come to these conclusions. But I thought having popular education brought into this discussion as well is something I'd like to bring back because I think it's something that's focused on the tenants and the community, each community's individual needs like brought upwards and learning from people's like lived experiences today and not perhaps like a theoretical framework that we're hoping to embody, even though it is important to like know the history of you know, movements in certain cases, but rather how does this community want to create a structure to move forward when engaging more neighbors and 
getting people involved in this idea, like you said, Kenya, that like we don't have to live this way. And I think popular education is important to getting your neighbors to question why we are maybe stuck in this cycle of having to work two to three jobs for what is literally a necessity, uh, which is just like having a place to call your home. Here's a very organizer-y question. What, what do you all in your own, if, if you're going to like knock on doors in a building, what do you all tell people about like why they should join the union? Or like to maybe broaden this out a little bit, you're talking to our the audience for this podcast right now, like why should they join a, a tenant union in the city that they live in or, or start one? We protect each other. And I feel like the most important thing is to let people know that like your neighbors have a face, like you have a community that is there that you can reach out to. And like the world doesn't have to be isolating and you don't have to shoulder all of your burdens alone because we are all struggling in this system built against us together and together we can protect each other but alone it's really hard to fight those battles and when we're usually knocking on doors it's not necessarily to I guess like recruit members into the Houston Tenants Union but rather we're usually knocking on doors when tenants come to us and we're trying to help them reach out to their neighbors and get them involved and help them grow whatever their movement or issue is so they can all connect and come up with solutions to their issues together that they're facing under sometimes a united landlord and sometimes it's based on an area, et cetera. But yeah, we need to do it together. Well, for me, I think that I would tell that person that if next week you have to sit on your table and figure out if you're going to be able to buy your child a gallon of milk, how much gas you're going to be able to put on your tank to go to work. If you have to figure out if you're going to be able to buy your child a pair of shoes or if you're going to have to eat less to make sure that your children have something to eat, then those are the reasons why you need to get into a tenants union because we shouldn't be figuring these things out. We shouldn't be on a survival mode. We should be thriving and we should be having the things that we need access to. If you can't pay your gas or your electric bill or your water bill, then those are the things that need to push you towards joining a tenants union. Because this is not just a you issue. There's millions of folks across this country that are sitting down every freaking day thinking about how am I going to make it through this month. If you're a paycheck away from homelessness If you get sick and you know you can't get sick because you're not going to be able to work and you're not going to be able to make it next month, those are the reasons why you need to join the tenants union. And I think that COVID taught us that we don't have to pay rent, right? Yeah. COVID Mm -hmm. taught us that even when we don't pay rent, our landlords are not starving. Our landlords are not suffering. That the only people that suffer and struggle is us. And we either make the decision of joining a tenants union and fighting back against this injustices, or we continue to sit on that freaking table every month figuring out if we're going to be able to survive. And I, I really urge people to do the other. I mean, come and join the tenants union. You don't have to be alone through this process. 
For me, it's the you know same pretty much. I know dealing with a lot of things I was dealing with. You know, I at the time I felt like I didn't have anybody or didn't have anything to fall back on. You know, and so like dealing with everything with my sister you know passing away in her landlord and stuff and so to them I wasn't considered her next of kin even though I'm her I'm the only living relative that she had so with the tenants union and stuff like I really felt like I wasn't alone when I was going through a lot of that and that's a good feeling to have when you are going through stuff you know you don't have to because you don't you don't have to go through things alone some things you know what are what are some of the challenges that you've all experienced or that your unions have experienced in trying to convince people that they really do want to be a part of this? I think for us, because a lot of the things, you know, for the indigenous people, it's like with racism and stuff like that. It's like them being scared to be, you know, to be on that side of, you know, standing up to the landlords or, you know what I mean? Just them wanting to but being scared to is what it is i've definitely encountered that fear in other people as well i think it's definitely the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is um fear of retaliation from the landlord in a campaign we've been trying to work on with the brompton mutual aid it's a complex in uh, montrose which is historically lgbt area in houston that has been very intensely gentrified over the past 20, 30 years. And they were facing issues like being personally targeted by management, owners knocking on their apartment doors, threatening them, dozens of people hit with illegal fines. And it's hard, but those things like do are very intimidating for tenants. And a lot of folks, once they begin to hear about these things, it's becomes even more important to unite and band together against these kinds of intimidation tactics. But then when you start like trying to get their neighbors involved, some of them who maybe hadn't been involved yet have now heard that these intimidation tactics are happening. And it scares folks away, especially in these like huge complexes that inevitably, because they're like kind of very awful to live in, have a very high turnover rate of tenant and you don't really have a lot of people who've been there for longer than two years I think these things end up adding up together yeah well in Los Angeles I would say there's two things that stick out in my mind one I would say us as organizers sometimes are obstacle because we fear for folks and we don't ask the questions that need to be asked for folks to take agency over their own situations. And we're scared for them. So therefore, like when we called for a run strike and people being, well, no, let's think about this for a second because people might lose their home. But it's like folks are going to lose their home anyways. It's up to them whether they want to fight and collectively collect power to fight back. I think that w- that that has been one of the things that I've seen that I think we need to push ourselves to really allow communities to make those difficult decisions. Some folks are more ready than we are to, to take those decisions. So I think that that's one. And the other one, I think that um, especially being here where people are gentrifying and things are happening, cash for keys has been a huge obstacle. I mean, people get intimidated into them sometimes. But there are tenants that if they tell them, we'll give you $25,000 to move out, their first thing is like, well, $25,000. They've never seen that much money in, I believe, in their lifetime. And why do landlords do that? 
because they want to they want to evict them to either redevelop the property, hike up the rent. It's cheaper for them in the long run to to pay you. I I had tenants that have negotiated up to seventy thousand dollars to move wow. out. But the thing for us is like one, how much is that money gonna last you to pay the new rent that you're gonna have? Are you able to find something that's similar to what you were renting in the neighborhood? And the reality is no. A lot of our folks end up in San Bernardino, Kern County, which is like Bakersfield or Lancaster. So like that mentality that they sell our tenants that with those $20,000 is a down payment for a house and you can own a home. Those are the things that I think that it's important why political education is important, because even if you do use those $20,000 and try to buy a home, one, are you going to qualify? Two, is it, are you even going to be able to pay the mortgage in the house? And knowing how real estate works, like, will you be losing your home within the next crisis? The bursting bubble of housing crisis that might come again, because we know this is cyclical, right? We're always in a state. I mean, capitalism is always in a state of crisis. So I think those are some of the obstacles that we've seen. But again, I feel like the union is the place where we can start talking about those contradictions and really push back against them. I'm curious, actually, Claire, since you're in a state that I know it's come up over the weekend, how bad tenant protections are in Texas, what are what what specific kinds of things are you dealing with? Is there kind of particularly egregious stuff where you feel like you do have to appeal to the state in some way to legalize certain kinds of organizing? Or how are you even thinking about that? Yeah, it's a bit of a tough question and is definitely something that is debated and discussed within our own union as well. Texas is one of the most uh, landlord-friendly states in America. And I know in uh, 2021, 30% of uh, just homes were bought by corporations in Houston alone. If you are uh, served with an eviction notice, you do not have a right to counsel. I don't think any provision exists there that we could even try to enforce. So it's tough. We have a partnership with Texas Legal Aid and a few of them there uh, have, when necessary, assisted some of the tenants we organize with and you know, a good cease and desist letter will sometimes help out someone more than you know. But I think for us at the moment, trying to change maybe any laws or policies that are 100% made and constructed in the landlord's favor is, uh, would be a difficult like task to imagine at the moment. But what I will say is um, the state's built to protect the landlords and landlords respond to agitation. And if you agitate enough landlords, the state will begin to respond in kind as well. And I think that that's something we've tried to keep in mind on the horizon as we try to fight and organize with um, our community members. Wow. Well, for us here in Los Angeles, and even in California, I think it's, this is where, again, political education is very important because I think that there is strategy and then there's tactics. So is our strategy long-term to keep changing laws and policies within a system that doesn't work or is designed for us? Should always be the question. Then there's the tactics, like tactically, it is important for us to, for example, when in 2019, 
we were trying to pass the rent control, the statewide rent control proposition for all of us to unite and work hard on that, right? We lost. But strategically, I think it, it, that wasn't the end goal. Um, and it was just a tactical idea. Do we need to work on some policies? Do we need to get some people elected? Yes. But how do we utilize those processes as moments also for education? And I think that that's important because we don't want to let our community to believe that saviors are coming to support us and help us because that's not the reality. We might elect one person that promises to give us something and we've seen time and time again that they don't give us shit. So for us, it's like, we've done a lot of GOTV. Why? Because it allows one, sometimes it's paid, and it allows our communities to make some a little bit of money while doing some of that GOTB door knocking before elections. They get paid to canvas and do all these things by different processes. One, that's one. But two, it also allows communities that have never knocked on a door to knock on a door to learn what a rap is, mm. how to convince your community to vote for someone. Mm -hmm. Then you can turn that into a way of like, well, you've done this for a politician. Why can't you do that for your union now? Mm. You know? takes away that fear from our community members. So I think that we also need to think about like how all these spaces can be creatively used for our purposes and not necessarily just for electing someone or passing a certain bill or fighting for a certain policy. Like having our community members, for example, go to Sacramento and speak and give testimony of why they need, for example, Ellis Act reform. It's important for us because that, that's how our community learns to put their stories out there and to really speak truth to power. But do we think that that's going to change anything? No. Like we need to do the work on the ground in order to change it. So I think that we need to have that clarity. That's so interesting that you've encountered people who feel more ready to do door knocking for elections than they do for the union because I in my experience it's a big like revelation for me in doing tenant organizing is I think it's so much more fun to canvas than it is for any electoral canvassing I've ever done because you're just asking people like what's going on in your apartment which at least in New York is the question that literally everybody wants to answer all the time and will talk your ear off about it so I think there's something, too, about the experience. There's such a nice meeting of form and function. You're knocking on a person's door to their apartment, and then you're hearing about their apartment. Sometimes they invite you in and, and point things out to you, right? Like, there's the leak, right? I don't know. There's something that feels extremely organic about it as a process that I think I've never experienced personally with electoral canvassing. I mean, I think obviously some people come come to electoral canvassing much more naturally. And I think that's actually like a very cool skill, but I've never quite been able to internalize that in the same way. Yeah. Well, a lot of this is pre-law to work that Union mm -hmm. de Vecinos has done. But when you're canvassing for a campaign, they partner you up mm -hmm. with someone. So mm -hmm. that takes away the fear of walking your neighborhood. And then the other things that they do is that they provide you with what you're going to say and I think that that's something that sometimes people are scared of. It's like, what am I going to say? What do I, am I going to do? I, I think it, it lent to us, at least at Union de Vecinos, to like, at that time, I think it's like from 2004 to 2012, to really train 300 of our members to do that type of work. They became really good at it. And now they were able to go and do it in their neighborhoods mm -hmm. and do it in their 
for the organization. So I think that that was important for us. But it's like, how do we continue to utilize these spaces for our purposes and not the other way around? Because we've seen the other way around, especially coming from an immigrant organizing background as well as I'm undocumented and Mm -hmm. we've seen how the electoral process has organized undocumented people to get out the vote for them without ever giving them anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, we only have a few minutes left. So um, I'm going to ask everyone one more question, which is um, what's something that you want to take back to your union at home that you've come away with from this weekend? There's a couple things that I've actually really inspired by a lot of the things that I've heard and seen this weekend and it's it's just even getting people to join and um, you know I really wish that a lot more people from where I'm from could actually have have came and seen you know just because um, where I'm from it's really it's smaller so it just showed me like how much power if we stick together fighting for the same cause that it you know how much can you can be accomplished Definitely, I agree that it's really empowering to see that a part of the Autonomous Tenant Union Network that to meet my neighbors across the country who are all kind of united under these ideas of political education and housing as a right. And I, what I really want to bring back from the convention is the uh, knowledge and work that we've all done that can be shared together. I want to continue to foster these relationships. And I've also learned a lot about maybe, at least, you know, living in Houston, like better ways to prepare our community maybe for the next disaster and prepare folks for, I think, the imminent fight that is to come as we face uh, in our city, like hundreds of eviction filings weekly And I want to take these strategies that have been shared with me uh, lovingly by the other unions that have attended and bring those back to my fellow comrades so we can continue to empower each other for fights to come. Well, I think for us at Union de Vecinos, one of the things that we've been talking about and thinking about, it's how do we strengthen our entire union? How do we also become more active within Autune to ensure that there's continuity to the processes that we started this weekend and making sure that we continue to have those conversations. But also, ultimately, it's like, how do we start creating not just our own local or our own union long-term vision of what um, tenants' unions should be working on, but how do we start collectivizing a more national vision for tenants? I think that that for us, it's very important because it's not just about us here. It's like we need to start thinking broader. And then once we start doing this nationally, how do we do this internationally? Union de Vecinos is connected with a lot of tenants unions in Latin America and other parts of the world that are also struggling through this. And I think that if we were to like really start having these more international conversations, there would be also like a bigger vision for the land and for us to to really develop better mechanisms of fighting back a system that has been oppressing us for so long. 
This has been On the Nose, the Jewish Curtains podcast. Thanks so much to Kenya, Claire, and Dania for joining us today. And thank you to everyone tuning in. We'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs>